Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello, Hello and welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, episode number, you know it. 101. And not Dalmatians. Or cats. Yeah, fear not. I mean, have you seen the advert with the 101 cats turning terrible? And well, no, because you evil? saw it today. and I. Well, it, it, it's it's for a, a tech renovation company. So, you know, recycle your tech. What do you take All tech? these sort of, um, you know, uh, iPads and oh, okay, yeah. phones and laptops and things like that. And uh, there are these demonic cats charging around, causing havoc. A bit like Gremlins, uh, the movie from the 80s. Anyway, uh, welcome to the show. My name is Adrian Hobart. And my name is Rebecca Collins. And this is the Hobcast Book Show. And together we run Hobeck Books, which is a UK independent publisher of the following four genres. Thrillers. Crime. Mysteries. Suspense. You sounded a bit like Malcolm then. Which one? Holland Drake. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> we saw him yesterday. Well, so. we did. Yeah, I guess it was a homage to the people of Yorkshire, because yeah. that's where we were. We were in Halifax yesterday, and uh, a little later I'm going to bring you a musical moment from Halifax. Uh, but we were at uh, Halifax Noir, which was all organised by our good friends Bob and Carol Bridgestock. And um, yeah, it was a, a particular little event. What a wonderful library. Central oh, Library in Halifax. Beautiful library. So not only a beautiful building, it was so well organised and curated. And I think um, we both spent some time browsing the shelves, didn't we, in between yeah. sessions. And yeah. Just it's a dream library, isn't it? Can you imagine it? spending hours there? I could easily imagine oh, spending absolutely. hours there. And they seem to know everybody as well, the, the regulars. <laughs> Listen to the librarians greeting um, the regulars. It's fantastic. What a, what a place. So visit. If you go to Halifax, don't just look at the Peace Hall. Which Just, is amazing anyway, yeah. but pop into the library. Right right next door, opposite the station. You can't miss it. Uh, it was a great event, and uh, we'll be hearing from Matthew Smith, who is a former publisher and now an agent. Uh, it's not a, a long interview, so this will be a shorter episode than usual, um, but uh, nonetheless, a really valuable insight. And he was part of a, a panel that we joined in at the end, people asking questions about the industry. And a, a lot of it's about how to get in, but I think that the theme of the whole thing was um, just how tough it is once you get there. Yeah. So I have to say thank you to Matthew because um, we've been meaning to get him on the podcast for a while and we still will do a, mm, a full do an interview in-depth, with yeah. him. But we just sort of grabbed him and said, while you're here, can we yeah. have a little chat? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, it was it was lovely. And uh, we took the boys with us and, um, you know, so they got to see Halifax and uh, shop a bit in the Peace Hall. So it was all very yeah, nice. Do you know, they were, they were gone for... Two or three hours, weren't mm, they? Mm. Do you know what they bought in that time? Christmas cards. Christmas cards. Yeah. <laughs> Was that, it? That doesn't surprise me. And uh, dinner. <laughs> and dinner. Yeah, they had. Uh, they went to BK or McDonald's. McDonald's, or it was. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, 
uh, that's enough of that uh, for now. Uh, let's get into some news, um, which pertains to publishing, of course. And the big story this week, I think the standout story, was the report from the Authors Licensing and Collecting Society, ALCS, that suggests that median incomes for authors have fallen down to £7,000, according to their report. And uh, what they did was they actually sent out surveys to 60,000 authors. And this was information for the tax years 2019 and 20, so it's pre-COVID, and post-COVID or during COVID, 2020 to 21. And they got uh, out of those 60,000 authors they contacted, just under 3,000 responses were received but it's still i mean <laughs> so it's just interstitic isn't it well no uh, yeah sure no, a lot of people didn't reply but the fact is that it's actually quite a comprehensive survey because a lot of the national polls for instance would probably only speak to just over a thousand people uh and that's taken as voting intentions that's actually quite a lot of work isn't it to undertake mm-hmm. that mm, it is well the report showed a sustained fall in professional writers real term income from writing over the past 15 years of around 60 percent pushing median incomes down or earning levels to below minimum wage. It's charted a decline of, in median uh, typical earnings from self-employed writing among primary occupation authors of 38% in real terms since the last survey, which was conducted four years ago. So that's fallen from £11,329 mm. to 7000 It also revealed a rapid decline in the number of full-time professional authors, from 40% of those surveyed in 2006 to 28% in 2018, and now just 19% full-time authors in 2022. And the gender gap is expanding too, with men typically earning 41% more than women, as against 33% uh, five years ago. That That is actually quite interesting, because that's going in the wrong direction. Yes. And the pay for black and multi-heritage authors is 51% in real terms lower than their white counterparts. That's a lot. Well, um, that's, uh, well, it's pretty bleak. Now, uh, the response has been, oh, well, publishers need to pay more. Publishers need to pay more. Now, the fact is, I mean, we don't do it so that what we do is equitably split the revenue from royalties with our authors so we don't pay in advance because we can't we just simply can't afford that um and so realistically you know however well sell these books sell they're getting 50 percent of, of that reflected i think there's, there's one thing that also needs to be considered is that authors also, aren't forced into signing a contract with any particular publisher whoever it is no they go in willingly and so if they have a realistic expectation of what they're going to make based on the royalty rates or the advance or whatever it is that they're being offered, um, then blaming the publishers, I think, or exclusively blaming the publishers on this situation is unfair. So where are the pressure points? Well, I would imagine it's the number of titles out there, which is vastly more than there were in the years of the previous surveys. Yeah. So that's one factor. So, you know, for each book, probably each is making overall less than their counterparts back in that time and the statistic is that uh, 500 books a week are published in the uk alone uh, so you can see that there is a big 
pressure on the market. So that's one thing. Another factor is that book prices have not kept up with book inflation. No. In any way. And so the expectation in the UK, certainly, is that a paperback would rarely stretch beyond, certainly for fiction, £10, which is our price point, £9.99. And on that, we can't really sustain that price point for very much longer because of the cost of production has shot up. So retailers are also, I think, a big factor here in that they expect a certain cover price especially the, te- the the Tesco's of the world, who drive down prices quite a lot. But on top of that, they expect retail, uh, the, the, sorry, the publishers to pay for the retail space, to actually get them in the shops, particularly in supermarkets. You have to pay over a certain amount of money for that slot. Yeah. But with, we're talking about the big publishers here, sorry, yeah. the big well, retailers yeah. here. To a large extent, yeah, we are. We are. We're not talking about the independents. Um, but, you know, the fact is that if you are in a position where you have to give at least 50% of your cover price to the bookshop, mm. that doesn't leave a lot after production costs for authors to get their share of it. No. I mean, when you – because – Or indeed publishers. We've said this before, but a book – a book's price of nine ninety nine, it's like a big cake. And – there are smaller and smaller and smaller portions of this cake the further back you go towards the author. Mm. So the retailer gets the biggest slice of the cake, and that's because they have staff and overhead and all the other costs mm. associated. And they're taking a risk of taking the book. They're taking a the risk, exactly that. And then the publisher gets a slice of the cake, but out of that slice, not talking about us specifically, but an, an, uh, any other publisher, they have to pay... The marketing staff, the the production, and never mind the budgets on the marketing and the production, but the staff as well, the overheads, the business, everything, all comes out of the nine ninety nine cover price. Mm. Yeah. So the poor author, what they get left. Well, no, exactly, and I think that there's a a shift needs to happen somewhere on the line because it's just not working for for, for almost anyone really. Well, in this equation. It's it's a mindset of the readers, I think. And um, I also read, um, I can't remember where I read it. It might be in The Guardian, actually. There was an article about, yeah. um, so Maggie O'Farrell's book, um, The Marriage Proposal, mm. has just come out in hardback recently, and it is £25. And if I say that to you, a hardback book of a not, not massively big hardback book, a fairly chunky hardback book for £25, would you be prepared to pay that? Not for fiction, no. No, that's a non-fiction price, isn't it? That's an academic book price. Well, you know, or it's, um, you know, an over and above cookbook or something like that. I mean, I'm not talking about the sort of mass market cookbooks that, no. that Gordon Ramsay or Jamie brings out in, in huge numbers and, and therefore is usually priced as recommended retail price 20 and normally is being sold in supermarkets for 10 mm. uh, or Amazon for 15 or something like that. We're talking about the sort of uh, the, the the biblical ones, the one you know, the sort of core texts of of, of French cooking. Yeah, so with six hundred pages, all in color. They would have a lower print run because it's a more specialist market, and yeah. therefore the price is higher because of the specialist content. But then again, you see, I wouldn't pay that, and then and then you you, you know we're making <laughs> we're guilty of, of double standards here, and that we're saying that you've got to pay more to cover the cost of the books and all the other things that come with it. And so where is that price point? That, that's the hard 
I don't know. But £25, I've I've got the book um, as audio. I'm listening to it now. It Mm. is fabulous. It's fabulous. But whether I would pay that as a reader, I understand where the cost has gone because of the cost of paper, the cost of printing, the cost of everything has gone up. Yeah. But would I pay £25 for that book i don't know i would think twice yeah i think that's that's at the very least and you're you're a fan of the work and to the author so uh where where does a new author come in on a 25 pound hardback they wouldn't get anywhere no it's it's tough it's tough and it it was fascinating i mean listening to matthew particularly you'll you'll hear a little bit later was saying that authors and write, writers who want to become authors. So he was making a definition that we can all write, but can you become an author, which is to have the discipline to finish a book and then finish another and another and another. And market yourself. Yeah, which is what's required because he said that even people signing for HarperCollins, uh, I'm not sure if he was referring to any of his clients, but he was saying that the marketing budget now is as low as £200. An average, yeah. And yeah. That, that does not surprise me at all. And anecdotally, I've heard of... Well, what does that give you, a press release? But there was, So the big publishers, the big five, I've heard anecdotally authors who are published, not well-known authors, mm. authors on par with the authors in the Hobeck team, they get a deal with a big publisher, they, don't, they get the minimum marketing, and they've been told... You're going to have to organise your own blog tour. You're going to have to get yourself out there, go to your bookshop. You're going to have to do all this yourself if you want to promote your book because we haven't got the budget. Because they don't say this, but their budgets are devoted to the ones they know they're going to get a good return on. Yeah, the ones they decide are going to be successful. Yes, exactly. Right. Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't take us long to get to, you know, room 101. In terms of publishing, did it? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't really. What else have we got to talk about? Well, actually, I've just thought of something. So um, there was a conversation on Twitter this morning um, about it's a time of year when all the big newspapers reveal their best books of 2020. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, one of our authors commented, and she, she, she said she'd read, I can't remember how many books, but she's read an enormous amount of books this year. She's a voracious reader. And she said she looked at the some of the these um top uh 100 books of the year and she hadn't really read any of them she'd read a lot but not the popular ones and she was saying you know there are so many books out there but they just it was like a frustration that they don't get covered there must be lots of people reading these books but they're not classed as the top 100 by the newspapers mm. so who classes these well i always have a degree of cynicism with any of these top 100 lists anyway um it's funny because i was reading it wasn't about uh cookbooks uh, sorry it was about cooking and it wasn't about it was about food more than cooking even what it was was uh in the observer i suppose uh it would be so it was on the guardian website so it would be the observer because it's sunday yeah. we're recording this and it was chefs and food people um reviewing christmas products in the shop so uh anna hoare who is the new professional master chef the irish judge oh yeah the one with the, the sort of heidi hair the heidi hair yeah yeah <laughs> blonde heidi hair um she was reviewing the christmas cheese offer from oh, the yeah. different supermarkets oh, you're making me hungry yeah yeah there's some weird <laughs> weird ones out there uh, but she was really going for the sort of the artisanal ones that have come from quite small dairies that waitrose are carrying and stuff like that but actually her favorite cheese was from aldi which was a 50-month-old 
cheddar um, for three ninety nine, four hundred grams, which is a bargain. Sounds good to me. Sounds yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very one of those cheddars that's really flinty and crystallized. Oh, oh, yes. Anyway, oh, um, but, but 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 I looked at the comments section beneath this, on the, and everyone was going, "Oh, here we go." Yeah, I bet they've been paid to say, you know, this is a, a really good one or whatever. And you know, there was Ed Gamble, who you also see on a great um, British menu. He's the podcaster who thinks he's a comedian, or perhaps he is a comedian. I don't know because sometimes he's funny, sometimes he's not. But he's one of the panel, one of the judges on it, and he was reviewing Christmas snacks and chocolates. Yeah. And you're just thinking, right, how did they get placed? I think, I don't know for sure, but I think the newspaper would have approached the supermarkets and mm. other places and said, "Put, you know, if you want to be on the judge, you know, you yeah, want yeah, your yeah. teeth to be judged, this is how much it costs. So they yeah. pay to be included Could in be. the judgment. It's like the Independent have always had that sort of top 50. They have a section in their magazine, which was always the the best 50 things and you just if you had any knowledge of that sector and it was particularly bicycles i was into at the time (laughs) you knew they were just it was rubbish yeah um anyway so at a a degree and look it's important to say that it's really good to see books in general getting some real estate in newspapers that's good yeah what we've been saying and what karen sullivan was saying in the um quick book reviews podcast with philippa was saying that it's really hard for even a company as established as hers with a really high quality high-end writing from around the world to get in on the newspapers now because the big publishers are buying their slots yeah. and the review time and the the amount of review space is getting smaller and smaller it's good that books are getting featured but there is so little opportunity for new authors new writing and new companies like us to get anywhere near that piece of real estate in a newspaper. Absolutely. And that, and that is my number number one wish for 2023 from a professional point of view is for that to change. It won't, but that would be a wish. A fairy if tale. only I could grant it with my Indeed. magic wand. What else have we got? Um, well, it's kind of related, actually. So there was another article in the bookseller. Um, I think we, we talked about it two weeks ago, how Super Thursday, that one day in October where all the yeah, Christmas books come out. talked about it a lot, yeah. And how um, the week following that, the lot of independent bookshops particularly were saying sales hadn't been as uh, uh, as expected for that particular day. And pe- they had the footfall hadn't been there. And mm. it was disappointing overall. Um, but a little bit of better news for independent bookshops is that uh, over the last week or so, as we've been getting excited about Christmas, they've seen, uh, I think it was up to 15% some bookshops reporting upturn in profits compared to last year and other years. But interestingly, a bit related to the top 100 thing we we're talking about, mostly local books by local authors or about local subjects, as opposed to Richard Osman and Friends. which i love that i love that the people are buying christmas presents they're going into independent bookshops firstly that's great buying christmas presents for their family and friends that have a local interest to them yeah that they've put some thought into it they're not just oh look there's that's number one i'll get that for uncle bob yeah well (laughs) it's funny i haven't got anything for uncle bob yet sorry bob 
not not the the writing one, but my my uncle Bob in the United States. Anyway, uh, it's yeah, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. I mean, would that carried on all year as well? But anytime there's an uptick in independent bookshops, great. And if it's local authors, fantastic. Yeah. But uh, you know, vive la revolution. Um, anyway, Viva la cat. do we have anything else to to to, to, to feature? Uh, you mentioned something about uh, friends of ours, no exit press being oh, sold. Oh, um, yes. Uh, well, it was like one of those you know flash news in the bookseller. So I don't have the details, but um, yes, it looks like um, two people who were quite high up in um, Hodder and Staunton have set up their own publishing company, Bedford bought... Square Publishers. Okay, it's called, mm, and they have acquired very, very she she. Address I know. Well, that's where Bloomsbury is. Bloomsbury Publishing is in Bedford Square, yeah, and it yeah. is amazing offices. I absolutely love going there on the vacations. I get the chance to. Um, so yeah, Bedford Square Publishers um, acquiring No Exit Press, who've been going since 1987, oh. and our friend Lee Russell, as we know, is published by them. Absolutely, yeah. Who okay. has actually got a new? She's she's gone in a slightly different direction. Have you seen? No. Um, sort of cozy crime. Do- Dog Cozy Crime. That, oh. That's all I know. I've seen a few <laughs> posts about it. but Well, that's a departure cats, from Geraldine Steele. Well, it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Cat Cozy Crime is a big thing. Yeah, no, Cozy Crime at the moment is massive. And uh, wasn't it interesting to hear um, another reflection? So um, Carol Bridgestock was saying that in conversations they'd had with... Um, oh, it was, no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Carol, actually. It was... Um, Liz White, who is a BBC Leeds presenter. Liz Green. Who, Liz Green, I'm sorry, Liz Green. <laughs> colours, though, it is colours. No, 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 I knew somebody called Liz White. Liz Green, who who was saying that um, she'd had conversations with a, a particular production company and they were saying that the one thing that they're really after at the moment is purely cosy crime that can be sort of done in one hour and put on Channel 4. Yes, and, and no bodies. And no bodies. No bodies allowed, no gore, nothing like that. And, in fact, just sort of... Actually, you think know. it was the Brigstocks have been asked for Ah, that's right. It, they, they've they? been... Yeah, so there was this conversation on the panel about the current TV demand for cosiness. So that's where the trend is going. You heard it here first. The trend is going towards nobody's crime. Yeah. Uh, whether that works... I mean, you know, we pretty much every book that we ever... Well, every book we have published is, is full of murders. So um, we might need to tilt, <laughs> tilt somewhere else with, with, with all, of, all of that. Cat uh, is making a real fuss, I and mean, she's been tearing into the furniture. So I think at this point we'll get to our interview, which is with Matthew Smith, who at one stage was working, uh, ran Urbane. He did, yeah. yes. And uh, that wound up about a year ago, I guess. Perhaps even longer, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things where it feels like about a year ago, but it might have been a bit longer, I'm not sure. Time goes very quickly nowadays. <laughs> it does, it does. And... Uh, and so now he's focusing as an agent and extraordinary numbers he was quoting at the panel. <laughs> yes. uh, he gets 100 submissions a week. 100 a week. I mean, he does get some because he's a generalist, as yeah. he calls himself, which I love that. It sounds, mm. sounds quite posh, doesn't it? I'm a journalist. Mm. <laughs> but um, 100 a week. So we get uh, when we were open, uh, it was a month, wasn't it? So in that month, we had about 40 in a month, and we felt overwhelmed by oh, that. Yeah, we had actually 55, if I remember 55 correctly. 55 in a yeah. month. And so he gets double that per week. Yeah. But uh, I guess if that's what your principal business is, then... 
Well, yes, but he still has to respond. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, 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 you know, absolutely, um, you know, that is, uh, that, that's a lot of people to read and give feedback to, for sure. Uh, not easy. And um, and so now he's running X Primes. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's, I think he's uh, enjoying the opportunity. Absolutely. Let's speak and we to... will have him back. Oh, we will, we will. Let's talk to Matthew Smith. There's the um, embers of an afternoon at Halifax Noir end. You say embers, it is snowing outside. No, it is, I've got it to is. put the embers out. We're, we're joined by Matthew Smith, he's a former publisher and an agent now, and was part of the panel today. Uh, a lot of the questions we had were about the state of publishing. Yes. And I think we did a good job of being brutally honest about it, didn't we? I, I think we could have been far more brutal, and I think we sort of held back yeah, a, rather, rather a lot. I didn't want to depress people, but, you know, I think it's important that we are honest about how publishing works and how damn hard it is for authors to actually get published and, and not just get published, sell books. Yeah, absolutely. I saw the, the figures that came out from Society of Authors this week, that the median income for authors has dropped since... Is it 7,000 or something It's now, now 7,000. Yeah. It was 13,000. I'd be 000. thrilled yeah. if some of the authors I work with earned 7,000 a year. Same, yeah. yeah we I think too. that's been way exaggerated <laughs> and, um, you know, if thank goodness that there are independent publishers and, and people who still want to write because that, I still think they're the lifeblood of the industry but they're going to they're gonna carry on struggling if we don't get behind them. Yeah. About your, your journey now into being an agent, and as you said, you know, one day you declared yourself an agent, and you are one, but you had lots of connections, obviously, within the industry from, from your years working in it. What sort of quality of work are you getting? You say you have 100 manuscripts a week to look at. Which yep. I have to say made me gasp. <laughs> it's quite terrifying. I get, I get everything from vampire novels through to you know, great rock memoirs because I'm, I'm a generalist. And the, the truth is I'm doing books that I really love and working with authors that I really want to work with mm. rather than just trying to cherry pick, you know, what Bookature might like or what might be the next Richard Osman. I mean, it'd be great to get a hefty advance every now and again, <laughs> but um, the truth is I'm, I've got some great stories that I just love people to read. And if we lose that, from our industry, I think we're in dire straits. Yeah, I think that's that's. I mean, it's like uh, the housing industry, in the, in, or you know, ha house buying. You lose your first-time buyers, the whole thing collapses, and it feels like that at the moment. That there is a very real danger that those nascent authors, the new ones to the market, aren't going to be looked after by traditional press. And people like us, while we try our best to get things going, it's really tough for us to introduce someone new to the market. I, I think it's almost impossible. I mean, I you know. I was in the position you were in, and the, the truth is, called it a day because it was either call it a day or end up losing my house. And, you know, do you really want to lose your house for the love of books? Well, it was a close call. Mm. You can build your house out of books. You can build a house out of books, <laughs> mostly returns. But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's, a, it's a very tough industry, but the truth is we all love it so much that we'll hang in there and we'll keep pushing and... I always say, when I was training editors, they used to say to me, you know, 
why, why should I do this job? When's the time that I know? If a new book arrives and you genuinely haven't got a thrill, and I know you guys get this because mm-hmm. I've seen your cover reveals and everything else. If you haven't got that thrill when that new book arrives, get out and get out quick because you've got to have that love because otherwise, you know, it's not going to work. We say this, don't we, with submissions. Yeah. Is if, we, if we don't love it, we won't be able to sell it. We, no. Not, not with complete conviction. No, you can't, because, frankly, as you say about losing hat, I mean, that is the situation that we have talked about. We've gone round in circles on the podcast a little bit, but there were times when, genuinely, I didn't know how I was going to fill the, the, the car with, with petrol that month um, because yep. things had got that tight. Yep. And, and, you know, the, the fact is, with digital marketing, which is where our space is in terms of you know, using Amazon ads yes. and Facebook ads yep. to try and sell books, it's the only way we can do it, really. Um, the fact is that <laughs> that money just cascades, keeps cascading out. You have no control over no. how fast it goes. No. No. And, uh, you know, it's really very, very worrying at times. And there are, you know, I, I think that between us, we've lost so many nights sleep. I'm sure you did too when you got to the point where it became too much. It, it can, and, and the... The thing is, it's a ridiculous industry because when you explain to people how it works, especially business people, that what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this script, then I'm going to invest £10,000 in it with absolutely no concept of how much it's going to really sell. But I've got a rough idea. Then some bookshops are going to buy some copies, but they could send them back. (laughs) So they're going to pay me, but then I have to pay them back. And they're like, what? Why why? would you do that? (laughs) And meanwhile, I've got an author saying... Why haven't I sold 10,000 copies? And you're like, uh. Yeah. And, of course, you take it all on board. And I don't think the answer, well, the answer for me wasn't to just sell everything at 99 pence in a desperate effort to stay afloat. It was, actually, I've got to step away from this mm-hmm. because otherwise I'm just going to end up mowing lawns and not care about books and authors anymore. And, <laughs> and going into the, 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 the... I hate the term literary agent. I think it's a bit of a nonsense. But... That role of being able to advise authors and maybe, maybe get some of them to publication the right way, I, I think is a good one. So even on commission, I'm only taking 10% because I think that's what an agent's worth. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, you know, we've dealt with some major agents and, you know, some, they're not all equal. No. And I don't <laughs> think necessarily that, 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 you know, they're earning the sort of money that, you know, they're not putting as much input. They're getting in the way, actually, of a, probably a very good creative relationship with the publisher sometimes. But ultimately, uh, you know, the, the whole industry t- seems to be predicated on these ivory towers. An agency is one of them. Now, you're one of the most open in the country, clearly, in terms of, you know, you're looking at all sorts of things and yeah. uh, you're always open. Now, that is very different from a lot of the more established, you know, the... Uh, the big names have been around for 100 years. They have, a, they have a very, you know, I'm trying to standoffish approach, much like the big publishers behave. Yeah, it? but I think that's also part of the, the it's the risk-averse nature of the whole industry now, yeah, yeah. where everyone wants a winner or they want to have the money to manufacture a winner and they don't want to take any risks. Well, the problem is, is that our whole business is predicated on risk. Yeah. yeah. And if we lose that, Again, don't be in it. It just becomes bland and then we don't want to be in it. Yeah, so what I'm trying to do as well, I have to be honest, is try and ignore what the big five are doing to some extent because if a Richard Osman book, you know, if that can buy its way to a number one position, that's nothing to do with what's actually happening with the rest of us where 
we're fighting tooth and nail for every single cell, but also taking great joy from every single cell. And, you know, that is what's going to keep this industry alive. And I think, you know, Hobex a very good example of a publisher that's going to survive because the audience, the, the readers and the authors are all going to back it to the hilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what we hope. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's really part of our, our, our offer is, you know, buy us <laughs> as people yeah. and as a philosophy and the approach that we take to, to what we do. Uh, as much as the quality of what we're putting out. And we put a lot of effort into that. But ultimately, you know, we are trying to find people who really buy into us. Yeah, that's why we spend a lot of time on social media. Because when I'm on social media, I'm thinking, I'm not earning money doing this. But I I love doing it because I love talking to the readers, the bloggers, the um, other writers who we don't publish with. You know, all of that, the sort of community of publishing people, people who have some stake in the publishing industry. But it's... It's all to do with, you know... Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, the ideal for me for, for successful independence is an independent publisher that has its own website or channel. It doesn't even need to worry about Amazon or Waterstones or whether its book's going to get into WH Smith or mm. it can afford to pay for its book. To, let's be honest. Mm. Yeah, pay for its, it's book pay over. In. Yeah, you have to pay to get your slot. Yeah. yeah. The, their audience, it might only be small but it's going to be committed and it's going to come and it's going to buy every book that's produced by that publisher yeah mm. and that's why subscription models i think are very very interesting if they're done the right way mm. and they're high quality and you cherry pick people will come and they will spend money well that's something we're looking at i have to say in terms of the people that you've taken on as clients now who who are you I mean, you shouldn't it's a terrible question really who are your favorite children <laughs> but who are you really excited about um, I, I'm genuinely excited about uh, Nick Quantrell uh, yeah. because, you know, uh, an author with four good books under his belt with Fahrenheit, who I think, uh, you know, does mm-hmm. some very, you know, Chris at Fahrenheit has done some fascinating things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I admire them a lot. You know, and uh, I, I love his tasty music as much as I love the, uh, <laughs> the yeah. some, of the, some of those authors are, are fantastic. Um, and, you know, I without no disrespect to Fahrenheit, but I'd love to see him go on to a bigger stage mm. and have a, a, a much wider audience. Yeah. And he's writing some very interesting things. Um, I, I'm, but I'm also, as a generalist, I've, I'm doing some rock memoirs, which are fascinating. Yes. I'm um, doing a, 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 working with a book uh, with Guy Mankowski on uh, Christine Pfaff, who was in Hull, uh, which is, again, a completely different area. But a really fascinating book, and I just love to see people. I mean, I know I'm not very commercial, am I? I should be. <laughs> I should be just selling the next Richard Osman and saying, you know, this one's going to earn us a fortune. But these are books that I want to be read. But people will buy into your passion for these. I books. hope so. That, that's yeah. the same with us. You know, we want people to feel the passion that we feel. Although it is interesting being a publisher first yes. now in this sort of gamekeeper term poacher mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. Some of the Publishers are clearly terrified of me because they can't give me any guff. Because when they say, <laughs> oh, well, this won't work because of that, I say, but you did this, and the unit mm, cost is this, mm, and mm. the marketing spend is... And so, they, you know, it, yeah. yeah, it can be quite... It, it's a double-edged sword, I think. It, yeah. can, it can help, but it can also hinder. I th- well, I think that's true of the whole industry, is that, you know, I think, broadly speaking, the crime side of the industry is one of the most open and welcoming certainly amongst yes. the authors. But in general, and this is true of the BBC as well, and indeed all broadcasting, 
it's it can be a quite catty industry as well. And I always get the impression with the the, the bookseller, you know, so and so is moving to such and such. Uh, that's the that headline, and then there's a whole load of subtext as to why they're making that move to another publisher. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and those of us within it, I mean, we're on the fringes, but you you obviously worked at some some big publishers as well. You will know what that subcontext that subtext is. Well, it's, it's usually about a share price. Um, yeah. You know, and it's not necessarily to do with the. It's certainly not to do with books. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it's to do with we've got to make ten percent, and this is the way we're going to do it. Um, and, and you mentioned the word fringes. I mean, that's that's. I think that's a lovely word, and I think that's a key word for for our industry going forward. Because even if you took Harrogate as an example, you mm. know, we love Harrogate. You know, it's fun. yeah, yeah. Look. Where's the fringe? You know, yeah, frankly, it, it's lovely that, you know, Ian Rankin and, and Mark Binningham and, and Val McDowell and everyone, they're, they're brilliant authors, but there are thousands of brilliant crime writers out there yeah. who we never hear of and not for want of trying. Mm. And, um, you know, I think there should be more events Really, and, and not which celebrate. Speak. Yeah, absolutely. And we then, we had an idea of having one on a narrow boat, didn't we? We did, we did. Yeah, that <laughs> might be a bit, bit select, but then again, yeah, that might work. But I think I think you know Harrogate can can afford to have that fringe tent they've got nowadays. Yeah, that big brown marquee that as you walk up towards the, the main auditorium should be given over to the indies. It, have an indie night or something like but, that. But you know, what's the point of having festivals that are just as risk averse? As, as the top end of the industry, it's pointless. You know, publishing should be about risk. It should be about risk. I know we'd none of us want to do that. I've put my own money into it, and I've taken that risk and come out the other side. And I tell you what, I'd do it all over again. Mm. Yeah, I would. The sleepless nights, the twenty four sevens, the the authors bitching because I haven't got an email <laughs> for three, two or three hours. You know, of course, yes. of course, there are downsides. <laughs> But for every single sale that we made of books that wouldn't have been seen any other way, God, it's got to be worth it. Do you know what? I think we need a support group because you, you, that's like yeah. our life. <laughs> yeah, that, that is very much our lives. Well, I think that's a perfect way to finish. I think, <laughs> a <laughs> random question, though. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you do get a random question, okay, which is, of course, it. essential to our podcast. You're going to do the... Oh, I'll do the voice. <laughs> Rebecca's random question. So we're in Halifax and it's been snowing. My random question to you is, does that fill you with joy or fear? It fills me with fear. Why? Because I'm about to hit the M62. <laughs> so yeah. are we. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I see, I drive Adrian nuts because I see snow and I just want to dance in it and, and have a snowball fight and build a snowman and just... Yeah. And he hates it. And I just think we're going to die. <laughs> um. I think snow is one of those things where I love the concept and I hate the reality. Yeah. He just hates both. <laughs> Well, that's another good way to finish. <laughs> Matthew Smith, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Well, we managed to get a random question in there. I had the random question prepared, actually. You did, you did, you did. I mean, it was topical. It was. It was snowing, and it's snowing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a layer of snow outside the barn now, and the, I have to say, something about the heating in this place. I mean, there aren't that many radiators, are there? But it is, and we have lots of double doors that lead outside. It's so hard to get this, this end of the house warm. It's freezing down here. I'm not as bad as you, I don't think. I'm really cold. My fingers are freezing. But, yes. So I put the bin out this morning with bare feet, and when I came back in, I, did, I couldn't feel my feet. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk to Matthew at, at, at length in 2023 at some point, um, but I think uh, a good snapshot of 
where he feels things are at the moment. And, um, you know, I think we generally agree. I think the, the sort of mood in the room yesterday was quite, uh, quite not bleak, Realistic. Realistic is the word we kept saying, didn't we? Because he yeah. did say, I don't want to, po- to depress people, but I'm trying mm. to be realistic. And yeah. It's very important to do that. It is. It really is. Let's turn to our books for a bit, shall we? And don't forget, you can go to our website, www.hobeck.net, and have a look at all of our authors and all of our books. And uh, we've been running a little offer, haven't we, this week for Lewis. Lewis oh, Hastings. two subscribers, yeah. So if you two, subscribe, yeah. check your email, check your inbox, and there'll be an email with a code. Yeah, you can get the seventh trilogy, the seventh wave trilogy, for a massive discount price. It is, actually. It's a very good discount, and I will wrap it in Christmas paper. Yeah, so check that out. But um, our most recent releases and our last of 2023 have come out. Yes, that's true. Oh, you say that. Makes 2022. Sense. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't get the year right. <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing anything for another year. No, we're not doing anything <laughs> at all next year. Um, have come out. Karina Swan's Driven. Yes. So, uh, is one. And uh, have you got some quotes there? Yeah. So would you like to have a look at the Driven quotes? Um, I will. I will. Oh, wow. Well, yes. Yeah, so you might have to be a bit choosy because there's quite a few. <laughs> another stunner of a read by Karina. One I didn't want to put down and kept reading. That's from Nikki's book blog. Uh, Joanne Book has said, this is a fantastic Thriller that keeps you on the edge of your seat. Uh, full of suspense, urgency and intrigue. This is an easy five-star read for me. And that's Elena at Jira's uh, Jamboree. Or Jira's Jamboree. <laughs> and overall, a thoroughly enjoyable crime thriller that is a procedural with a twist. <laughs> Love this quote from Read and Rated about Driven Below. Karina is great at putting her characters through the emotional mangle. That's the Read and Rated blog. Very, very prestigious blog. Uh, I'm given this, uh, I've given this one a solid five stars. I hope that's out of five. Uh, I thought the storyline <laughs> was fabulous. I loved how it all just linked together. That's two ladies in a book. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, oh, I've got to read the one from the Ginger Book Geek because I, I'm also a Ginger Book Geek. My Kindle wasn't exactly glued to my hands, but it might as well have been. <laughs> I love that. I want that on the front. <laughs> So that's driven by Karina Swan, the second in the D.I. Payton series, which came out l- 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 last... 29th. 29th. So just, yeah, last month. Yeah, ten, End of last ten month. days ago. So. Yeah. Check it out. And uh, we've got some for Cooking the Books, which oh, is our baby. Christmas special. Oh, yeah. baby Cooking the Books, which I, I w- I'm thrilled to report. We've we had to get the reprint. We're out of stock. Yeah. <laughs> so it, you can still get it in hardback from Amazon. So fear not, dear listeners. If you go to Amazon, you'll be able to buy the hardback um, before yeah. Christmas. We're expecting stock hopefully this week. Yeah, postal <laughs> so, strikes allowing and all that. And indeed, delivery drivers who don't turn up with your, uh, you know, the latest piece of equipment that I've ordered for over a week. I'm getting really annoyed now. Actually, the postal strike has caused quite a few problems. I sent two copies to Rachel Sargent, one of our authors. Mm. It, uh, they took eight days. Yeah, if you send anything second class now, it's just forget it. And, mm. you know, I mean, it's just might as well. You know, send it to the moon and back. Uh, anyway, got some so quotations. I have some, I have some lovely quotes. <laughs> um, so Miriam Smith, who's a regular uh, reviewer for us, said, everyone has that awkward relation or friends that you really can't think of what to buy when it comes to Christmas or birthday presents. So your Uncle Bob, maybe. I don't know. Well, search no more. And that's it. Awesome. Say, say no more. Hobick Public... 
Hobeck publishes outstanding books, so it's no surprise that this anthology is of the highest quality as the authors I have come to know and love have contributed to it. Even Rebecca and Adrian Hobeck itself have written stories, and it was lovely of Rebecca to share the personal story about the sandwich that helped to launch Hobeck. Michelle Wiles said that. I had to read that one, didn't I? You did. <laughs> the blinking sandwich. And Sarah Blackburn uh, says, if you want to spread some Christmas cheer, then you, you must buy this book. You must. You must. You must. Yeah. Sounds uh, like my mother. Now, I have you to must. give a special mention to one of our uh, heart members called Pete Fleming. Yeah. He went above and beyond he did. for his review. So he didn't just read the book. He made the recipes. He didn't just review it on his blog. <laughs> he made some of the recipes and he's going to make some more, he says. And he made your hangover cure. Oh, my God. The place to oyster. Yes, he made it and he tried it. He said he wasn't really very hangover. He was a little hungover. And he tried your cure. Did you it work? Do you want to know if it works? Uh, yeah, I do. He said, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think... Well, I think its main thing is as a deterrent. Because if you know that you're going to face the place to oyster, which involves raw egg uh, and anchovies... Um, if you know that that's what your face is, if you drink too much, then you won't drink so much. Or it'll just empty the contents of your stomach and you yeah. feel better. It's it's quite an acquired thing, but it's it's a it's a it's a based on a traditional recipe. So uh, it has generations of people who've benefited from the recipe, and uh, that's why I included it. I also have to mention uh, Linda Checkley, who is another one of our lovely regulars. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a long quote, but it's worth it. I wouldn't normally pick out a favourite from an anthology, she says. Mm. But this time, there is one that will stick in my mind for a very long time. Yeah. And you're thinking, which one? Yeah, I am thinking that. And not necessarily for the right reasons. Oh. Thank you, Rob Gittins, for putting me off one of my favourite foods. Now, she's not the only one who said that Rob has put her off crab. His is about crab, you see. And I think the crab industry might come knocking on his door. Yeah, they probably will. They're probably <laughs> where he lives in West Wales on the coast there. I know. There probably are a few crabbers knocking around. Then she's also said, there are a couple of recipes I'm actually going to give a go, but I'll be passing on the offering from one half of the Hobeck team. Now, that is actually me, not you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't want to try my sandwich. No, I don't think I do. I mean, even though it brought us together, I don't think I could face it because it's got salad cream in it. See, you told me a porky, because at the time you said, ooh, can I come and share your sandwich? Yeah. The well, implication that was you... being that you liked salad you cream. Took, you took that literally. That was well, who just, wouldn't? I was just keen to come <laughs> over and see you. Oh, well. This is too much. I don't think people need to hear it too much. They've about heard this. it all before. Anyway. I think they probably have. They have. Indeed. But if you haven't read the book, and you'll find out. Let's look ahead to next week then, um, work-wise. Actually, I've got quite a few sort of family things to do. Um, to, yes. you know, health-wise, supporting uh, people in my family. So that's going to interrupt my week a bit. And we've got some meetings with authors and, and, and parties next week. We've yes, also we, got we do a, actually have quite a few uh, meetings. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, and the other thing we've got... Is an inter- up the Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> we've got an interview with our so, next guest. Yeah, so... Um, we we struggled to get a guest for next week, so I put a call out on Twitter and a lovely lady called Sally Ann Bedford replied and said, me, me, me. So she's our next guest. And she's a Joffy Books author. She is. And what I love about these situations is we come across people who 
aren't in our immediate sphere and we make new friends we've done it a few times now so i'm yeah absolutely we you know we're a broad church on the hope the hopcast book show <laughs> getting my words twisted I'm, I'm beginning to lose it it's so cold down here that's why he is he's actually got icicles on his nose yeah well actually i did live in a caravan during a winter where i did get icicles on my nose i did look like one of those sort of um refugees from scott's antarctic uh ill-fated trip of 1912 was it anyway let's uh let's get on with uh thinking of next week and getting on with next week so it remains for us for myself adrian hobart and myself rebecca collins to thank you for joining us on the hopcast book show please don't forget to subscribe to the hopcast wherever you get your podcast from it, it means a great deal to us but from my yeah from me and from rebecca <laughs> we'd like to wish you a wonderful and creative week bye-bye You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.